Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we have got a lot to break down today as week two of college football is in the books, and we're going to break it down with Ben Fennel and Dane Brugler. But first, we're going to get to Scout Stories, where I caught up with Eagles Senior Director of College Scouting, Anthony Patch, and we talked all about scouting pass rushers. What are the traits that matter most? What are some of the, some of the differentiating factors between good and great pass rushers? Obviously, an extremely important position. We'll hit on that at the very top of the show in Scout Stories. After that, then we can get into week two and what we saw this weekend in college football. Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, we've got our game balls to hand out, our one-play takeaways, go through the entire list, uh, some of the biggest wins, some of the biggest plays from Saturday's action. We'll break it all down in Saturday scouting. After that, the three of us are joined by Chris McPherson and on the clock, where we're going to kind of keep that defensive line theme going. We're talking about defensive linemen with Anthony Patch. Well, we're going to talk about who is the best defensive lineman not named Kayvon Thibodeau in this draft class. And so we'll talk about that and on the clock. And we've got a question about a rising senior linebacker in our draft mailbag. So as always, make sure you go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got a question like the one that we are going to answer here in our draft mailbag segment, the best way to get to us is to go on Apple Podcasts and leave your question in the comment box. We will answer it here in an upcoming episode. And we appreciate everybody that leaves us those comments, leaves us those ratings. It's the best way to show us your support and show, show us how much you appreciate this podcast on a twice-weekly week, basis here throughout the year. I'm really, really excited about where this show is going. That said, uh, let's get this one rolling here. I'm excited to talk with Anthony Patch. He was on the show almost on a weekly basis last fall. He's back here to talk about pass rushers. It's time for Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. Well, joining us here for Scout Stories on the Journey of the Draft podcast is Eagles Senior Director of College Scouting, Anthony Patch, to talk through pass rushers, those defensive ends, those edge rushers. Patch, thanks so much for joining us here on the show once again. Good to be with you again, Fran. Good morning. Good morning. Let's get into it. This is one of my favorite positions to watch. Uh, obviously, one of the more high-priority positions uh, in the league right now. When you look at pass rushers off the edge, what's the toughest part about making that projection from college to the league? I would say the toughest is, you know, production. Can you know, we've seen guys with a ton of production that don't excel at the, at the pro level for some reason. You got you see guys with less production and they actually do well at the the pro level. It'd probably be the hardest thing, mm. you know, as evaluator. You know, um, you know, there's been a number of guys, and we talk through this every year. Will that project or will it convert over to the pro level? When you look around the league and it. You know, especially in the summer, it's like, oh, the, the top 10 lists and the Mount Rushmore of, of every position. And, you know, how would you stack the best in the league? Every team is has really good defensive linemen inside and outside. And it just feels like there's so much talent at that position in the league. But in your mind, what is it that separates the, the great players from the, from the good or even just the, the good from the average? What are some of those differentiating factors in your mind? I would say instincts and motor. You know, I think those are the biggest things. I mean, there's a lot of guys that don't get the sacks, and the, but they get to the quarterback friend. They're disruptive in other ways, whether it's knockdowns, QB pressures, QB hits. I mean, sometimes people don't see that. They'll see, well, the guy's a you know five sack guy, but let him behold, he has a ton of QB pressures and hits on a on a quarterback. The other thing is, how well does he? react to runs and, you know, get off blocks and run to the ball. 
Do they bring it every play? Like uh, Brandon Graham doesn't have the highest sack total, of course, his career. But I think if you'd ask a lot of tackles, who would you rather block him or some other guys? They'd say some other guys because he brings it every play. And then last question for you. What is the best piece of advice that you've gotten, uh, You know, whether it's for a mentor or a coach, uh, when evaluating pass rushers off the edge? You know, the speed and power, can they win with both? And I guess the other ones, Francis, you know, if they get stalled, neutralized, are, are they going to be able to counter and win? Yep. So, and, and it goes back to length. You know, the size is really important. Again, like the offensive line, you know, can they separate? How good they use their hands? Uh, and how good do they get to the quarterback? You know, and, you know, that's the name of the game, really. Can you win off doubles? Can you can you beat guys one-on-one situations? Can you get to the quarterback? Can you run to the ball? And again, you know, we've had a number of good defensive ends here. You know, with Curse, he Douglas, you know, Derek Burgess was phenomenal. Nobody really brings up his name, but, you know, we moved on. And, uh, you know, Trent Cole was out, outstanding. Um, and those guys all, you know, Trent Cole wasn't the fastest. Hugh Douglas didn't have the prettiest longest body. Brandon Graham wasn't pretty sleek and long, but they all had high motors. The same thing with, uh, you know, Burgess. I mean, those guys' motors ran hot all the time. And credit credit to the, you know, the D-line coaches that pushed them and credit to them. And so say you you see a play running down, break loose. We always point out the plays every year when we're watching college guys. Look at this guy's effort running to the ball. You know, if it's a, a a backside play that breaks loose 20 yards down the field and who's there's, uh, you know, Trent Cole's down there or now Jay Sweat's stepping up, you know, um, guys that are running the ball, tracking the ball. I think effort, motor, everything cannot be unseen at that position. Yeah, it's certainly been present uh, in this Eagles defensive line room over the last decade plus. Uh, Patch, this has been awesome, man. Thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Awesome, Fran. Thanks for the time. Look forward to seeing you soon. I hope you guys learned as much as I did there from Patch about pass rushers. And just a couple big points for me, kind of walking away. Uh, I thought that he made a really good point about judging production and how hard that can be because there are so many examples on both sides of that ledger, right? Some guys that put up big numbers in college as pass rushers that got to the quarterback often but weren't able to do it in the NFL. And then you have vice versa, guys that didn't produce well in college but then they were able to do it in the NFL. And it's really hard to be able to gauge that. And so when you talk about all the other different things that go into it, whether it's hurries and uh, you know pressures and hits on the quarterback, you, that, that disruption, we talk about there, there, there's that quote when our friend Josh Norris uh, over at, at Underdog Fantasy, he says it all the time, disruption is production. When you're talking about defensive linemen, I think that that's some, one of those things you can kind of carry over. And I think that's really interesting uh, that, that Patch brought that up. Uh, the separating factors. Talk about instincts and motor. And instincts can always, regardless of what position you're talking about uh, on the football field, I think when you talk about instincts, it can always get a little bit cloudy. What, what exactly does that mean? What does that look like? And I think what, what Patrick was saying was, look, guys that are just around the quarterback all the time, you, there's a knack for doing that. And it's kind of what I said, it, whether it's pressures, hits, knockdowns, whatever stat you want to use, guys that are able to get home to the quarterback and always find ways to get to the football – I think that speaks, uh, you know, to, to their nose for the game. There's so many different umbrella terms you can use for that, uh, but I think that that really matters. And production is a big part of that, especially when you get into the front seven. Uh, and then the best advice I thought is just, um, you know, can you win with both speed? 
and power. And I honestly, I've really kind of taken this approach to almost every position in the game. It's like, can you, how many different ways can you win? So for a defensive lineman, to Patch's point, can you win with speed and power? Can you win with technique? Can you win with strength as a run defender? Uh, you know, do you have all of those tools in your toolbox? If you're a wide receiver, you know, can you win with separation? Can you go up above the, uh, above the rim and win? Uh, can you make a catch through contact? Can you just run by guys and win down the field? Are you just, you know, can you win in the quick game? Uh, I think when you have all of those different ways that you can win, well, now you're a much more valuable piece uh, for, a, for an offensive coach. And so uh, to me, that, that's a great way to look at all of these positions. And it's something that I'm really taking with me moving forward through, uh, through my process in evaluating these college players. But uh, great stuff there from Patch. Make sure you tune in every single week. We're going to catch up with a member of the Eagle Scouting Department to talk about a specific position. You tell me if you know of another NFL Draft podcast that's doing that on a weekly basis. That said, let's get into what we saw this weekend in college football. It's time now for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, another week and another weekend of college football. Week two in the books, guys. And I guess we've got, uh, look, it was a a little bit of a softer slate than it was last week in week one where you had a bunch of headliners. That said, there were some big-time wins and also on the other side of the coin, some big-time losses here uh, from some of the top teams in college football. But you know me. I'm a a glass-half-full kind of guy, so I want to focus in on some of the wins. What were the biggest wins for an individual team this weekend? Dane, I'll come to you. Who, which squad do you feel like uh, helped themselves the most with a dub here over the course of the weekend? It's got to be Oregon. Yeah, the Ducks were two touchdown underdogs, uh, and that was with when we thought there was a chance that uh, Thibodeau might play. Yeah. So going across the country, 9 a.m. West Coast time game, uh, two of your defensive studs out. On paper, Ohio State, they were the more talented team, clearly. But that's why we play the games, right? Oregon, they outcoached. They outplayed Ohio State. Uh, the Buckeyes' defense is it's the worst it's been in a while. And we knew, you know, last year there were holes in that defense. They lose, you know, four experienced linebackers. And, you know, it's we saw the result on the, these first two weeks. So, But give the, the Ducks credit. They deserve it. Uh, consistently executing all four quarters. Uh, they have a defense that's going to keep them in every single game this year. The offensive play caller, Joe Moorhead, he can go toe-to-toe with just about anybody, uh, you know, whoever is coordinating on defense. And then you've got a senior quarterback in Anthony Brown who looked poised, looked accurate. I mean, he's a veteran. If not for injuries, he'd be in the NFL right now. So uh, sometimes Pac-12 teams need to come east uh, for a little more eyeballs to gain that respect. And I think that's exactly what happened on Saturday. They announced themselves as – legitimate playoff contender and I mean, you could already circle the date October 23rd at UCLA I think that that's a game that could determine a lot of things in the Pac-12 I'm glad you brought up Anthony Brown I wanted to ask you about him going into this what were some of the things you saw from him he is a senior quarterback got that extra year uh, what did you see from him in this game well, I mean, he he looked under control. I mean, he a lot of the especially when he was on the move, a lot of his throws were on time and accurate. Uh, you know, I think again, the Ohio State defense helped him out a ton with some of the spacing issues, and they just they looked like they were not ready for what they were throwing at him. Um, and credit to Joe Moorhead, it, it seemed like they had a very different offense than what they showed at Fresno State. Not different offense, but just different uh, timing with how they were calling some of the plays. Uh, you could tell that they watched that uh, national title game against Alabama and they knew how to attack that Ohio State defense. But Brown was, I mean, very much under control. And, you know, he he understood how to execute the game plan and he did it in a very smart way. Uh, if not for injuries, like I said, you know, we 
we'd be talking about him as maybe being a backup in the NFL. And now, uh, as long as the medicals are okay, he's he's an interesting senior prospect. Ben, how about you? Who was the uh, who got the biggest win for you? You know, I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path here. So I wanted to pick Arkansas and Sam Pittman getting the big win uh, over Steve Sarkeesian's Texas Longhorns. But I'm going to go with a strange pick here. How about the Rutgers Scarlet Knights starting the season 2-0? and And it's no longer Fagazi. After week one's huge win over Temple, sorry, Fran, they went to Syracuse this week and got the win on the road. What's that called? That's a winning streak. That's two in a row for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And I think they're building momentum. And guys, they have some dudes on defense, whether it's Avery Young, who is a three-year starter at corner, moved to safety, Julius Turner, the uh, Fakasi outside linebacker, middle linebacker hybrid, Afani Maja was the Temple transfer. Some really interesting prospects on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm just really excited to see that team compete and have a little steam uh, heading into conference play. Uh, I'll I'll forgive you on the Fugazi uh, on the Fugazi mispronunciation. You just didn't there. know they crushed Temple sixty-one <laughs> fourteen. Are they for real? Are they not? They go on the road. They beat a Syracuse team that's well coached. They're starting to build some some momentum out there in uh, North Jersey. Uh, I'm going to Temple Boston College this week. Uh, Temple made it a little bit closer than I would have liked uh, for uh, the Akron game this week. So, yeah, I had some questions about that win for Rutgers. Uh, but, yeah, starting off 2-0, good start there for Greg Schiano and the Scarlet Knights. I'm not That's, sure if we've ever talked Rutgers as a team on this podcast. No, because the they've been so. so down. Yeah, they've been so down the last couple of years. Um, so certainly a good start for them. Uh, all right, guys, let's get to our game balls here. We've already talked a little bit about the Ducks, so I'll just jump right in. Ben, you brought up Verone McKinley. We talked about him in our late week episode last week, and I thought this kid was outstanding uh, going up against Ohio State. Dane, I know you tweeted about him early. Then he gets this, the, the critical interception late in the game. Uh, this is a versatile defensive back that, to me, this, and this is just me talking, guys. I watched. I, I said, mentioned on the show last week, I watched, watched him last summer going into the 2020 season. I thought he was in like, like that top 50, top 65 type of prospect last year. So continue to see him build. Uh, this is a safety with a corner skill set. Plays inside. He plays from depth. Uh, has a, a really, really multiple skill set from a coverage standpoint. Can play man, can play zone, can match up against receivers and tight ends. Uh, you see the ball skills. You see the, the willingness to be a run defender. Uh, Verone McKinley, redshirt junior uh, safety. Keep an eye on him for the Ducks. He got my game ball for his critical defensive performance against Ohio State. Uh, Dane, anything on McKinley that, that I didn't mention? And then also, uh, who's your game ball? Yeah, with McKinley, the awareness that he showed in coverage was just simply outstanding. Um, I mean, he had a beat on what Ohio State wanted to do. And part of that is, you know, reading the eyes of a freshman quarterback, uh, understanding where he wanted to go with the ball. But his timing to plays was outstanding. Now, I, as a prospect, he's going to be interesting because I think he's – He's a little bit smaller than you want for a safety, and he's not an elite speed player. I mean, he's probably a four, between a four, five, eight, four, six, three type of athlete. So I, you know, that's something that uh, you know is going to be interesting when we talk about him projection wise. But when you talk about smarts and instincts and just understanding where to be to make plays, uh, just a, a really, really big time game, and uh, you know that was the difference uh, for for Oregon for my game ball. I, I kind of cheated here a little bit. I'm going with the entire Arkansas defense. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I th- th- we could have mentioned them in that first segment, but I, I want to give, uh, you know, a lot of – shine a light on a lot of those defensive players they have uh, in Fayetteville. I mean, Texas, they put up 34, 38 points on a really good Louisiana team uh, in week one. So they were, I think, touchdown favorites going uh, to Arkansas to face – 
a very underrated Arkansas team. And, and frankly, this game was never close. Arkansas, they put up 40 points on offense. They rushed for over 300 yards uh, against that Texas defense. But again, really, is the Arkansas defense that really impressed me. The Longhorns scored only seven points the first three quarters. They scored two touchdowns late that, you know, really were not were non-factors in the game. We've talked a lot about Jalen Catalan uh, before yep. on the show. He, he, one of the best defensive players in the country. But the Razorbacks have a trio of senior linebackers who are just rock solid when we talk about college players. Grant Morgan, Bumper Pool, Hayden Henry. I don't think any of those three are locks to be drafted because they're either size deficient, speed deficient, or both. But performances like Saturday, I think all of, all three had double-digit tackles uh, against, against Texas. It, performances like that, I think that's going to help them get more looks from, from scouts and say, well, maybe, j- just maybe. Uh, and then one other player for Arkansas that on that defense I wanted to mention, senior John Ridgeway at uh, nose tackle. Illinois State transfer. He's got draftable talent. Uh, he, he played really well in the middle of that defensive line. So for Arkansas, you look at the schedule, they, they've got Alabama, they've got Auburn, they've got Ole Miss, they've got Georgia. So some really good offenses coming up on the schedule, and we're going to find out more. But give credit to defensive coordinator Barry Odom. He's got those guys playing very well. You know, we talk every year about some of those frisky teams in the SEC. Those, you know, they're not the blue bloods, but you know, they're going to give, they're going to be a tough out for everybody every single week. It certainly seems like Arkansas and Kentucky are going to be those two teams here uh, in the middle of the SEC. Uh, ben, who got your game ball this week? I thought this was the low hanging fruit, but none of you guys are going to touch it. So I will easily. And that's Memphis receiver Calvin Austin the third for his six receptions for 239 yards and three touchdowns against Arkansas State over the weekend. And just to give fans a snapshot of what I'm talking about here, he's a lot like Tutu Atwell in that he's 5'9 and probably 165 pounds soaking wet with rocks in his pockets. He's small, but he is explosive. He was on the Memphis track team early on, prolific sprinting background in high school. He's from Memphis, and he had a huge 2020 with over 1,000 yards. 16.7 per catch, 11 touchdowns. So this smaller frame receiver is building some traction, whether it's the KJ Hamlers, the Hollywood Browns, the Tutu Atwells. There's a role for it in the NFL. Calvin Austin III, he's small, but this kid can boogie. Who do you like more of the two Calvins? Do you like Calvin uh, Calvin Austin or do you like Calvin Turner? The, the uh, I'm like a Calvin Turner for, guy, you know, Fran, <laughs> but let's have Calvin Austin have his moment here in the All sun. Right. Uh, but Calvin Turner is a really fun receiver out there at Hawaii. All right, let's get to our one-play takeaways, guys. Dane, I'm going to bounce this back to you. One play that stood out most from the weekend. When we talk about Iowa's uh, stud center, Tyler Linderbaum, it's usually about his quickness. Um, and, you know, His ability to reach block with ease, turn his body, consistently win, do that at athleticism. I don't think we talk enough about just his compete skills, uh, how nasty of a player he is. Uh, there was a play in the Iowa State game, uh, big win for the Hawkeyes. He latches onto an Iowa State linebacker and drives him 10 yards before just pancaking him on his back. I, I tweeted the clip at DP Brugler. It, it's a fun watch. I mean, I, again, Tyler Lindebaum, one of the more uh, agile and quick centers in college football. He's also got that mean, nasty demeanor to him, that, that violent streak that you want to see from your center. Ben, how about you? Fran, I told you every week we are talking about the Kentucky Wildcats till they get ranked. <laughs> they go and they beat Missouri last week. Okay, they're going to blow the doors off of uh, Chattanooga this week and be 3-0, and I'm sure. But I just picked any run from Chris Rodriguez. He had a 31-yard run. 
he trucked a corner right before he went into the end zone for a three-yard touchdown the next play. But the 31-yard run, he finished and made this corner go flying uh, against Missouri this past weekend. He's got 329 yards rushing in two weeks. That's 7.2 per carry. Left tackle, Dari uh, Rosenthal, coming from LSU, Darian Kennard, Will Levis, Wandale Robinson, Chris Rodriguez is every bit of 225. And believe me, nobody wants to tackle this guy. I'm going to keep talking about these UK Wildcats until they're ranked. And they're just on the outside looking in. So maybe another week or two. Week four, they play South Carolina. So that may be the real put up or, uh, or shut up type of game. Uh, I, I was going to say, like, I, I'm sure once they're ranked, you're not going to start. Uh, you're, you're not going to be shutting up about Kentucky. And that's why I, I thought, like, oh, maybe if I mentioned them as an aside earlier in the show, like, you won't feel the need to bring them up. But uh, obviously a great start here for UK. I'm and really just trying to get a bread basket or a muffin basket from Mark Stoops. I hope, I hope he's listening out there, Coach. I'm supporting your guys every week out here. <laughs> All right. Well, for me, guys, I mean, uh, look, I, I might just take the low-hanging fruit and say that there was no – there was not – one set of 45 seconds that was more gripping on Saturday than watching that cat dangle from the top level of my, of hard rock stadium down at the Miami app state game and then fall to its safety uh, beneath. But that said, if I'm going to just go with what is actually he even eligible for an, what are you talking about? Well, no, I think he's a super senior. You know, oh, I think, okay, he's, gotcha. he's, yeah, 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 I think he's, I think he's, he's reclassified. He's, yeah, right. Exactly. I should have thought about some cat puns before uh, uh, we got started here. That said, um, to me, like on the field, look, coming into this week, that big matchup was Washington and Michigan. Uh, and to me, like the big one was Aiden Hutchinson along the defensive line going up against Jackson Kirkland from UW. And Aiden Hutchinson was unblockable in this game. I mean, it was just outstanding. And just seeing him work through Kirkland, there were a couple bull rushes where, uh, and Kirkland's a big guy. I mean, you're talking what, Dane, like 320, 330, like he's up in that school. You're yep. talking about Hutchinson running through him as easily as he did. That's not just pure strength. That is technique and having an understanding of how to set up your rush. And when you look at Hutchinson, his ability to win in multiple ways with athleticism, with power, with technique, with effort, uh, this guy just checks a lot of boxes. And he's building on a really strong senior campaign that could lead to him being a very high pick uh, in this draft. Maybe we'll be talking about him in an upcoming segment. Real quick, and not to take anything away from Hutchinson, but I, I'm surprised that people were talking about Jackson Kirkland as high as they were. I mean, uh, I mean, Mel Kuyper has him in the top 10. I, I did not realize yeah, I know, that. I've never seen, I've never seen him that high, or I've never viewed him as that high of a player for sure. No, I, I never even considered him for yeah. my top 50. Like I, I didn't, I mean, I don't think he's that caliber prospect. I mean, nonetheless, it was to your point, an outstanding performance by Hutchinson. I was just, I, I, I wasn't sure if maybe I'm missing something. Do you guys see him as, as a, as that impossible first round or is he that type of prospect for you guys? Well, the, the thing is, is like you guys know how this goes at, at that position, right? If you have that ability to be a competent tackle, yeah. uh, you're going to get bumped up the board. Like we saw Caleb McGarry, and we're not to like take the low hanging fruit from a, Wisconsin, a Washington kid. We saw Caleb McGarry sure. sneaking in the back end of round one, similar kind of prospect profile. Um, so I never viewed Kirkland that way, and it probably more of a guard than a tackle. But at the end of the day, like those guys get drafted. I just don't think it has any exceptional traits. It reminds me a little bit of like Brian O'Neill coming out of Pitt. Uh, maybe that kind of second round, you know, day like two tiering of, wise, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tiering wise, but he's a guy that's coveted by a lot of people. You mentioned Todd McShay, our good buddy, Jordan Reed over at the draft network mocked, mocked him eighth overall, you know, a guy right. just after wow. Evan Neal and wow. before guys like Drake Jackson and Kennard and some other really good prospects out there. Mm -hmm. So uh, a guy that certainly some people view as a high level prospect. 
So he is a, a senior. Well, let's get into some of our guys that are a little bit further down the eligibility line. Down the road freak shows, a freshman or a sophomore to file away for the future. Uh, ben, we'll bounce this to you first. Well, let's just stay right in that Michigan game, Washington. But let's go to the other side of the ball. Some really good running backs in that Michigan offense. We know about Hassan Haskins and his senior campaign, but they have a true sophomore, Blake Corum. Yeah, no At 5'8", 200 pounds, this is a well-built kid with some juice in the open field. Back-to-back 100-yard games uh, yep. to start his season. 171 against Washington in that primetime stage and three touchdowns, 8.1 a carry. Between us, I didn't know who was in the backfield some snaps. I just knew it was going to be 25 or two, and they were breaking in the open field left and right out there. So Michigan defense got a lot of attention. Aiden Hutchinson, Daxon Hill, some really good players over there. But this running back stable, starting with Blake Corum here. He's a true sophomore, so file it away for later. Uh, Corum, I I took note of him, put him in my list as I was watching the game Saturday. Uh, and if I didn't go with the guy that I went with, it would have been Blake Corum. So I'm glad you brought him up. The guy I ended up going with, I, I'm going to stay in that Oregon secondary. I talked about uh, Verone McKinley earlier. Let's talk about DJ James, who got a lot of accolades last year as a true freshman. There are a few reps. You know, it's always tough to tell off the broadcast copy. I do think that big noon kickoff games, they do a pretty good job of being able to uh, see as close to all 22 as you're going to get um, on a typical TV broadcast. But that said, uh, DJ James had a couple of really impressive reps down the field, playing really tight coverage, pressing his receiver to the sideline. Uh, I thought he did a really nice job, obviously, against a very talented Ohio State receiving core. So uh, DJ James, true sophomore corner, file him away. That, that Oregon secondary – they're loaded. That's a, that is a really, really good group going into the rest of the season. Dane, uh, who is your down-the-road guy? Yeah, and DJ James, I mean, they've they've got some pretty good corners on that Oregon defense, but James might be their best one. Um, I you know, First, I want to give a shout-out to another Memphis reference here, uh, corner Greg Rubin, freshman uh, DB, who had six passes defended on Saturday. He's got eight on the season in two games, uh, leads, leads the country. So I uh, wanted to give him a shout-out. But, I mean – how do you not? How, how do we not go Anthony Richardson here, the quarterback from Florida? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it, sure. we officially have a quarterback controversy in Gainesville. Uh, the Gators have said they're sticking with Emory Jones as a starter right now, but I mean, no one can deny the explosive plays created by Richardson when he was in the game. Uh, I mean, he's a redshirt freshman, still very green. We can see it. He, you know, he's missing some reads. The timing hasn't always been there. But against UCF on Saturday, he was three for three for 152 yards. That's 50.7 yards per pass attempt. Uh, Two of his three throws resulted in six points. And then on the ground, this season in two games, he has 275 rushing yards on only 11 attempts. That's 25 yards per carry, two touchdowns. Uh, Obviously, the opponents, FAU, South Florida, not exactly cream of the crop, but it's still impressive numbers nonetheless. And it's going to be really interesting to see how Dan Mullen uses him against Alabama on Saturday. Hopefully he's uh, back from that hamstring injury that he had uh, on Saturday. But man, what what a talent that Florida has there in the backfield. I was going to ask if if any of you guys had heard anything about Richardson and that hamstring. He pulled it on that long touchdown run. Uh, He looks like he has got all kinds of tools. So I'm excited to see him. He pulled it on that run. He had me fooled. Yeah, Yeah, very, very late. He's like like away from defenders. As he he crossed the goal line, you could see him kind of pull up uh, a little bit there at the end. Uh, Really interesting player there for the Gators. All right, guys, let's get into some players that we've studied here over the last week or so. Um, I'll kick things off here. Look, I think it was, what, four of the top 16 teams uh, took an L this week. All right, so we had some big losses. There was a couple of uh, near misses as well. Notre Dame almost falling to Toledo. And I just recently studied Toledo safety Tyson Anderson. Ben, you've talked about this safety class and how there are guys up and down, whether you're talking just the senior class or whether you're talking the underclassmen, a bunch of really impressive players. 
Tyson Anderson as, as a safety for the Rockets. He was on the freak list. He's on the senior bowl watch list. He, he's been on the national radar, but this guy is, he looks like Kyle Hamilton and that he's six foot three. He's got that crazy wingspan. He's got range to play off the hash and make plays outside the numbers. Really fluid athlete. He's a long strider, proven core four special teams player. So you've got the, the high ceiling as a long athletic violent player with a special teams background. So we've talked about that in the past, right? We talk about that every spring, how that guy's, those guys typically go uh, higher than you'd expect. But then you talk about his upside and say, all right, well, again, 6'3", 33-inch long arms, that side of the, the range to play off the hash, the ability to man up on tight ends and receivers, and he does that often uh, in that scheme. The interception, interception production has not consistently been there, but he rarely misses tackles. He's always around the football. Tyson Anderson, I can't wait to watch more of this kid and watch him more this year as a senior because he really, really caught my eye. He is one of these super seniors, by the way, a true fifth-year senior uh, here for the Rockets, but uh, he's a guy that really, really caught my eye and I'm excited to watch more of. Uh, ben, let's come to you here. Who's your, uh, your film room recap player for this week? You know, we have been talking safeties. I'm going to pick another safety here, particularly we've been talking safeties in the SEC, whether it's Lewis Sign or the Alabama kids and Jordan Battle. Auburn's got Smoke Monday. But Ole Miss has a really interesting safety we need to talk about, A.J. Finley. And nobody, and I mean nobody, was playing as well as he was at the safety position to end 2020. Now, why do I say that? Because the start of his 2020 was awful. But he started all but one game last year. He's a true junior. He's 6'2", 210. He's got long limbs. He wears those rings down his arms so to make his arms look a little bit longer as well. Uh, but he started every game but one last year. Bad start to the season. Tons of missed tackles. He really cleaned it up down the stretch. And then he got benched for one game. He just missed the start in the one game. But three interceptions, seven PBUs. Plays a lot of deep middle or deep half. Really good read and react skills. He has range for days. Watch his interception against South Carolina that I posted. He can make plays at the sideline from the middle of the field. Really good ball skills. Really good instincts. His tackling is getting better. He's from Mobile as well. He's from a pretty prolific high school out there with a bunch of former Alabama guys like Mark Barron and A.J. McCarron and Jake Coker. Um, I know Coker came over, I think, the transfer over there. But anyways, but it reminds me a lot of Kenny Phillips coming out of Miami nearly 15 years ago, being 6'2", just over 210. And I think this kid has legit 4'4 speed as well with his range. So Kenny Phillips was a little bit disappointing as a pro since being a first-round pick. But A.J. Finley is long rangy, explosive ball skills. It's just a really deep class. It's going to be tough to uh, stack these guys by the time we get to uh, April, May. It's been a while since we've had a safety group that, that looks as deep and as talented and not just deep, but like top heavy as well. There's a lot of players. So I think we're going to be in that top 50, top 70 discussion. Uh, Dane, let's let's come to you. Take us home here on our film room recap. Well, I want to give a little bit of love to Kenny Pickett uh, from Pitt, who uh, has done a really nice job two games into the year against UMass and Tennessee, both wins for uh, the Pitt Panthers. And he's played really well uh, in both games. And I, I think when you watch him on film, I mean, you see a guy that has functional mobility so he can move around uh, both the pocket and when he's extending plays. I think he's very efficient with his mechanics. Um, I, and I think that allows him to deliver with uh, more zip than you would expect for his arm strength. Uh, even when he's moved from a spot, I think he's able to do that. Good timing with his progressions, uh, especially when he works tight to low. That's where he looks most comfortable. He doesn't panic under pressure. He finds his outlets. So, uh, you know, there's a lot to like about, you know, been a multi-year captain, competes with confidence. Uh, but when you look at it, there might be a uh, something that you really worry about with him, and that was the fumble that you saw on last year's tape. Hasn't been an issue so far this year. 
But fumbling was a big issue for him last year. And uh, talking about that with a scout, he told me that Pickett has eight and a quarter in chance. That's tiny. Yeah. Uh, and so how is that going to affect, uh, you know, the evaluation of Kenny Pickett? If he goes this entire season without fumbling uh, or, you know, keeps him to a minimum, uh, then all of a sudden, you know, scouts are going to have to ask themselves, like, you know, how much does it matter? Yeah. But if, if the fumbles creep up again, then obviously that'll be uh, something that uh, they have to take a long look at, decide if that's uh, something that's going to hold him back to the next level. I just feel like he's finally getting help in this offense. 68 drops over the last two years, the most in college football. Finally, some more reliable weapons out on the outside there. But the names I've written down, you know, I wrote down at a point last year in the season of Nick Mullins, Ben DiNucci, Brett Rippon, Kyle Allen, Gardner Minshew, all guys that started games in the NFL last year. I feel like Kenny Pickett is just as talented as that group. I feel like he kind of, you know, embodies that. TJ Yates, CJ Beathard, you know, he's going to be a late round pick. He's going to back somebody up and we'll see if the situation's right that he gets thrown into the fire. It just seems like that type of CEO backup quarterback, as weird as it is to say that. Yeah. And as is always the case with those measurables questions, it's not an issue until it's an issue, right? So if, if that, those turnovers start to pop up again, then the hand size will come into question. If he doesn't fumble the ball once, like Dane said, uh, no one will, will mention it until we get to the combine and day one of the combine, the hand sizes come out and then everybody freaks out all over again. But uh, we've got, and some I know time. Mark Whipple, Mark Whipple has been there forever, the quarterback yeah. coach. And it just seems like he just keeps pumping out kind of yeah. NFL intriguing players, whether it's Peterman or I don't know if he coached uh, Tyler Palco back in the day, but it just seems like, Pitt always has that kind of backup pedigree of their quarterback. No question. Well, guys, uh, we've hit on a bunch more, a bunch of players. Let's hit on a couple more here. We're going to welcome in Chris McPherson. It's time to go on the clock. The Philadelphia Eagles and New Era introduced the Fly Collection, an elevated, boldly branded apparel capsule with streetwear appeal that's different from your standard Eagles fan gear. The collection sees bold new graphic expressions of the Eagles brand on apparel essentials like hoodies, t-shirts, jackets, and headwear. The designs are kept simple, mixing fresh modern branding alongside bold punches of color available exclusively at all Philadelphia Eagles Pro Shop locations and the team's official online store. Learn more and view the entire capsule at philadelphiaeagles.com slash fly. On the clock. All right, well, time for everybody's favorite segment as we go on the clock. And Chris McPherson joins the show. Just to update everybody on the score and what the to- the topic is here, uh, each and every week we just have a little bit of a debate where uh, c comes on, he's the judge and jury, and he's able to basically says. Who makes the best argument for a topic of his choosing? Dane got the win in week one. Ben got the win last week. I'm the only one uh, with zero right now. I've got a goose egg. So, C-Mac, we come to you. What is our uh, what is our topic? Share it with the people. So, we have not talked much about the top defensive prospects, I feel like, in this segment. I, I want to learn a little bit more about the guys on the defensive side of the ball. So, I, I've heard of Kayvon Thibodeau, the talented pass rusher of Oregon, and it seems like that he's the cream of the crop in this upcoming year's draft class. So, Kind of like outside of him, you know, to make it more of a a fun debate, who is the best defensive prospect in the 2022 draft class? So, Fran, you get to kick things off. 
You have the goose egg so far. Let, let's get you on the board. What you and, got for? And us? just to say, this is open season defensive line, so you can choose a 225 pound edge rusher or a 360 pound nose tackle. It's yes. any anything goes up front. Just for we're talking about. Oh. And we're talking about up front. I should I should clarify that we were talking about the players up front here Correct. on the defensive side of the ball. Well, my so. guy can my guy can zone drop, so well, he'll, we'll he'll play he'll play a little bit. <laughs> <in this laughs> you're field. not you're not first, Ben. You're not first. <laughs> speak with the judge. Just saying, don't 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 categorize what my guy can do he'll line up on the line but <laughs> all right well i will just just to give everybody a little bit inside baseball like i i hate that i have the first pick for this category because uh when you open this up and we know about the talent along this defensive line in this class there are a lot of really talented guys so i'd almost rather let dane and ben go first and then i can kind of make the best argument for a guy that's left over that said I've got the first pick. I belabored this decision for about 48 hours before I pitched it over uh, to Dane and Ben. And I landed with Purdue pass rusher, George Karlaftis, six foot four, 275 pounds. C-Mac, he got on campus in 2019 there in the Big Ten, and he gave everybody a run for their money. You should have watched him against Tristan Wirfs that year. You watch him against some of the other top tackles in that conference. And for a guy with that size, uh, has the ability not just to run through you, but he's got some athleticism to him as well for a bigger guy. He's not a, a truly like freak show, like uh, you know, bend the edge athlete. Um, but he can win off the snap. He's got initial quickness. He can win inside. He can win outside. Uh, but again, you get to his ability to win with power, to win with technique, and then to win with just violent effort, his relentless pursuit of the football. So you're checking a lot of boxes there in terms of what you can do for us as a defensive line. But he gets on campus there, Purdue. He racks up seven and a half sacks. He's freshman all Big Ten. He's a freshman All-American for pretty much every service that year. Last year, high hopes coming into the season, right? Well, he deals a little bit of an injury. He reportedly contracted COVID-19, so uh, missed a whole bunch of time there on the back end of the year. So coming into this season, what was he going to look like? Well, through two games, all we've done is talk about how good Carl Aftis has looked. We've had a couple of guests on each of the last couple of weeks here on the show, and the arrow is pointing up here on Carl Aftis. 6'4", 275, like I said, both strong and powerful, defends the run extremely well. And C-Mac, you know how much I value guys that have a plan of attack as a pass rusher. So when you look at Carl Aftis, he's got the ability – to string multiple moves together. He's never behind the quarterback. He's used to dealing with extra attention there on that Purdue defensive front. So whether he's dealing with slide protections, his direction, uh, chips from the tight end, chips chips from the running back, he, he understands how to defeat that extra attention and still find his way to the football. So even last year when he had the down year, I studied him and thought he looks like a blue chip player and he's carried that through here to 2021. So that's why I'm going with George Karlaftis uh, right now as my second favorite defensive lineman in this class. Is there athleticism? Is the athleticism good enough that there's upside? That's yes. not like he's got a pass rush plan already in place that he's kind of almost maxed out his his tool set. No, there definitely is uh, athletic. I mean, he he finished number seven on Bruce Feldman's freak list, uh, and I can pull up the the blurb there. Um, just a remarkable all around athlete. He played on. That's the other thing. He played. He's a he came from Greece. C-Mac. He played on the the U sixteen Greek national water polo team as a thirteen year old. So you talk about a guy that's got just ridiculous athleticism for that size. You and I, I think we're talking about this when the Olympics start. Like how freaky of an athlete you have to be to play water polo. So it's funny uh, that this conversation comes full circle here. But uh, this guy, he was a big time basketball basketball player. Uh, yeah, there's a whole long blurb there from Bruce. I don't need to get into, but the, the testing numbers off the charts as well for George Karlaftis. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed you didn't bring up the freaks list to like start things off here. So, well, you know, I, I got to lean into the film. You know me. Of course. That's true. That's true. Very, very fair. Now, 
how is he be dealing with being the guy? Because I was turned out some, some pretty good D linemen. You know, Espinosa was a second round pick, I believe, of the Bills last season. So, you know, how is he handling being the guy? So he's at, he's actually at Purdue. Uh, I, I'm a, um, what I said I, earlier I, that I, he I, went I, up against so. Worfs as a freshman. Uh, gotcha, when, you know, gotcha, gotcha. At Iowa, uh, but, he had, but that's the thing. He's been he's been uh, the guy for the last couple of years, and that's why he's used to dealing with that extra attention. And he was the guy halfway through his true freshman year. I like it. All right, so Dane, number two here. Who you got? So I mentioned this last week, but it's a little sacrilegious to compare Buckeyes and Wolverines, but you can absolutely see shades of the Bosa's when you watch Adam Hutchinson at Michigan and that number 97 jersey uh, rush the passer. He just checks a lot of boxes with what you're looking for uh, from an impact pass rusher. He's explosive, powerful, quick. Talk about the freaks list. Uh, yeah, Carl Aftis was on the freaks list. Bruce Feldman ranked uh, Adam Hutchinson as the number one defensive freak in college football this summer. 6'6", 265 pounds. He's going to be a top tester at the combine. 4'6", 40-yard dash, 6'5", in the three-cone. Not only is he a freak, but he knows what he's doing out there. He rushes with purpose, with strategy. That two-hand swipe looks just like Nick Bosa. So he's a freak athlete. He rushes with timing, technique. Uh, the third area that scouts really gush about with Hutchinson is the mentality. Talking to scouts, they say he's wired like TJ Watt. Football, it's all he does. It's all he thinks about. Watching his motor and the relentless play style that he has on the field, it's not a surprise to hear that. This is a direct quote from Jim Harbaugh. He is one of my absolute favorite guys that I've ever coached because he does all the right things. So we're talking about a guy that checks all those boxes. Uh, Michigan has two games so far this year. He's at three and a half sacks. Carl Aftis does not have a sack yet. Uh, a forced fumble, block kick. Uh, a lot of people are high on the left tackle, Jackson Kirkland at Washington, and Hutchinson pretty much had his way with him all Saturday night. And, I, you know, earlier on the podcast, we did talk about him. I want to give you a few quotes from Mr. Fran Duffy himself about Adam Hutchinson. He was, uh, he was quote unquote, unblockable, quote unquote, technique, power, athleticism. He has all that. He wins in quote unquote, multiple ways. So uh, earlier on the podcast, Fran was uh, gushing about uh, Hutchinson and how he plays. Uh, you see the size, the athleticism, the rush plan, the production, uh, the compete skills. And so for all those reasons, Hutchinson is the best defensive lineman in the country, not named Kayvon Thibodeau. Here are all those receipts, Fran. I'll, 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 I'll let you finish. Yeah. But uh, renowned box score scouter, uh, Dane Brugler, pointing out that, that <laughs> Carl Aftis wow. does not have a sack yet. Uh, no, I would say all the same things about Carl Aftis, though, in terms of his ability to win in multiple ways and all that. Yeah, but you said it about Hutchinson. So. <laughs> Just want to bring it up. Pretty, pretty darn good. Now, does he have versatility? Has he played inside at all? Does he have anything like that that he brings to the table? Plays inside, outside, and uh, it's almost frustrating because Michigan drops him a lot. It's almost frustrating because I want to see him get after the quarterback uh, for evaluation purposes, but they'll drop him in space, let him cover a running back. So when you're a freak athlete at 265 and you've got that upper body power but the lower body agility, you can do a lot of different things. And so whether he's a 3-4 stack player, uh, you want him playing on the edge, he can fit multiple schemes. What's been his production coming into this season? I know you mentioned he's off to a great start with the three and a half sacks this year. Well, last year he was on a first round trajectory, uh, but he got hurt in the third game. He uh, had a fractured leg, so he missed uh, most of last season. The year before, it was solid. Uh, you know, he, him and Quiddy Pay 
kind of uh, on that defensive line. So the production hasn't been, you know, necessarily double digit sacks every year. But I think that he was on that trajectory last year before the injury. Question is whether being one of Jim Harbaugh's all-time favorite guys, absolute favorite guys, is a positive or a negative. We'll have to wait and see. Ben, bring us home here. All right. So I felt I had a pretty easy decision here. I know Fran took 48 hours to make his choice. Sounds like a little bit of hesitation there. Aiden Hutchinson coming off the big weekend, kind of low-hanging fruit. He was on every headline on my Monday morning paper. I'm sure Dane just uh, picked it off of that. Look at a paper. C-Mac, I want you to think back. I like, you know, kind of reflecting the comps and who these guys can be and who they embody. I want you to think of two former first-round picks back in 2011. We're talking 10 years ago. Still dominant players today in both the run and the pass. And I'm talking about Cam Jordan and Cam Hayward. Why am I bringing them up? Because they remind me a ton of Texas A&M defensive lineman DeMarvin Leal, who's a 6'4", 290-pound true junior, Plays on the outside, will slide inside uh, in some sub packages, just like Cam Jordan, Cam Hayward. When you think of those two, there's not a lot of explosiveness. There's not a lot of speed. There's not a lot of, you know, getting into backfields. They're just really strong, stout, three-down players. They may be better run defenders and more TFL guys than sack guys. Although Cam Hayward just had 12 pressures yesterday against the Buffalo Bills. It's looking pretty good in year 11, but... DeMarvin Leal, heavy-handed guy, strong lower half, all the stuff in the run game you want, C-Mac, whether it's setting the edge, squeezing down run lanes, getting knockbacks. Remember big Evan Neal at Alabama we are talking about? Well, he had a nice little push-pull move on him last year where he threw him down right on his face. Big Evan Neal at 6'7", 370. Apparently his comp is the Incredible Hulk. DeMarvin Leal threw him right down to the ground. This guy is NFL strength. He's a power rusher, good change of direction, good length. He's just not a first-step speed guy. So I want you to think of these 10-year vets that are still dominant today. They were first-round picks, but they weren't the sexiest picks in the class. That's DeMarvin Leal. Straight, brute strength and ready for the NFL today. Cam Jordan was, uh, you know, in the conversation, obviously, T.J. Watt and Aaron Donald, but Cam Jordan was up there as one of the top defensive players. Still, He's an outstanding player, player, yep, with some versatility. You just don't think of him as the fleeting first step high side rusher. He's just a really productive three-down player. And anytime you can play three downs, that allows you to heighten that production total because you can throw the ball on first downs. I think that's still allowed. So you can get some sacks on early downs, but you got to be a good run defender to be out there. DeMarvin Leal, great, well-rounded football player. Really, really tough as always. Great job by, by the uh, the crew here. So as we're going through here, I know France itching to get that first win. Ben wants to get two in a row. Dane trying to bounce back. He's always, you know, started strong, but wants to, you know, be consistent. As you go through the list here, you know, you're looking for athleticism. I think is a big thing here. Obviously, size, you want to have the right size profile. Production certainly helps check the extra box there. Um, you're putting all this together. I think Dane with Hutchinson's going to get a second win here. So, yes. you know, we talk about size. He's he's the freaks, the freak of the freaks, number one on the freaks list there. Um, you know, talk about the the mentality, personality profile he brings to the table as well. So, uh, you know, I think you can make a strong case for all of them. That's why I know Fran was, uh, you know, struggling with the decision there. I, I wondered if he was even going to tell you guys the topic you know, until uh, like <laughs> one hour before the podcast, I said, you know, you could just take the weekend to decide. So 
Um, I could see why he uh, was struggling with the decision here. So see, all Matt, great I'm running on fumes here. This... I thought I gave a James Carvel type performance there in that debate. This was like a Jordan <laughs> flu game. I was about to just drop the mic and roll away, assuming I got the win there. When, when, it was strong. And, when Fran started talking about Hutchinson earlier on the pod, I just started licking my lips. Like, oh, this is <laughs> this is gonna be good. The receipts, yeah, the, the receipts too good. The receipt, <laughs> the receipts help help put it over the top there. So uh, phenomenal effort there. But uh, we're, we're gonna leave Fran. Uh, you know, scratching and clawing for another week. To, Big to get 10 that first defensive lineman. When do they ever pan out? Let's go down to the <laughs> SEC and get that real talent. Come on now. Yeah, the, look, after I won last season, it's just, it's only right that I start in a little bit of a hole this year and see if I can claw my way back. All right. Well, guys, this is a uh, fun as always. We'll be back uh, next week right here on On the Clock. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. Well, great stuff there, as always, from Chris McPherson, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler. Now, let's wrap this show up with our draft mailbag. We've got a question from a longtime listener. Write him. Checks in with a five-star review saying, I managed to watch the first half of last week's game, Penn State versus Wisconsin, and number 40, Jesse Lucetta, the Penn State linebacker, jumped off the screen to me watching the game. The swim rip sack that he had looked quick and violent, and he seemed to consistently be in the backfield or just around the football. I had to step out, so I missed the scoring in the second half, but came back just in time to see that critical interception by the safety in the red zone. So I can't speak to Lucetta's performance in the second half, but I was wondering if you could give me the scouting report on him. Is he a mid to late round prospect? So uh, right him, I will. I think when you look at Jesse Lucetta, uh, this is a big boy. You know, he's under six foot four. He's right around that 245, 250 pound range. And I think what we're seeing now with a transition for him this year as a senior, he's seeing more pass rush looks and we're seeing him get after the quarterback a little bit more. You talked about uh, what we saw from him against Wisconsin. He had a pick six. Uh, this this past week against Ball State, I fell a little bit short in my upset special prediction uh, from last week's episode there. But I think when you look at Lucetta, uh, he's got that body type to be able to have that position flexibility. So last year, a lot of what I saw from him in that senior-laden linebacking core, he played mostly as a stacked player. Now we're starting to see him play a little bit more off the edge and used in some of those pressure packages. And I think that that positional flexibility will certainly help him moving forward into the NFL. Is he going to be an every-down pass rusher? No, but I think the fact that he presents that value I think will certainly help him. And again, at six foot three, 240 plus pounds, uh, he has got the size to be able to handle in the trenches. I'm excited to continue to watch him uh, develop. I know Jim Nagy had tweeted about him over the course of the summer. So someone that's certainly on the Senior Bowl radar, uh, he'll be on the Shrine Bowl radar as well uh, with our buddy Eric Galco. So keep an eye on Jesse Lucetta, the linebacker. I believe he's number 40 uh, there in the middle of that Penn State defense. So uh, great stuff there from Wilt. Great stuff from Ben and from Dane and, and C-Mac and certainly uh, Anthony Patch. Make sure you tune in later this week. We'll have Ben. We'll have Eric Galco. We'll have Ross Tucker. We've got another guest lined up that I know you guys can't wait to hear from right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.